The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Man City, Liverpool, Etihad drama. Saints, six goal shellicking, alarma. Burnley's Sean Dyche comment karma. Man United as threatening as the Dalai Lama. And how Chelsea will do against Benzama. All of that and the whole Premier League panorama plus the start of the Intertotally semi-finals. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, coming to you from Monday the 11th of April. How are you? Thanks for joining us. It's a totally, with your friends, Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Hi, James. Cheery old Adrian Clark's along. Hello, James. There he is. And also Adam Hurry. Adam, you're back. Hello, James. Hello. Very non-committal greeting from you, Adam. <laughs> uh, it's a big day for Daniel. Can I say you've got a driving lesson booked for 10.30. That's in 90 minutes' time. Yeah, maybe we'll need to shorten shorten the pod to 60 minutes and stop a the 60 clock. A 60-minute clock. Yeah. Right. I think that could work. I think that could work. Listener, of course, Daniel's topically referencing uh, current plans to have trials for football matches with a 60-minute game clock in football uh, as one of the measures to vastly improve this kind of sad old bloated sport that... Uh, that occupies so much of our time. Wow. But Daniel, this is, uh, this is big. So driving lessons, yes? Yes, they are now, I now realise, as standard in a post-COVID world, three hours long, which is... Really? Do you have to do them remotely? Uh, no, but I think the idea is that the, the driving instructors don't have to clean the car out after, less frequently than if they're doing them every hour. So they're now three hours ah. long. Crikey! All right. no, no, I'm pretty sure, Dan, you're not. You're not 17. Why? No. Why is it taking you this long? And what has prompted you to to go yeah. for it now? A, a sort of combination of laziness and selfishness, really. Uh, laziness, very self-explanatory. Selfishness, you do tend to stop getting lifts to places if you can do it yourself. So, yeah, 36 years young, and I'm starting. No, but but why now are you starting? Uh, it becomes much more helpful for evening matches, etc. I see. So I don't have All to right. schlep across the country on various poor net rail networks. Absolutely. All right. What a quote. Five live. But going back to the football, what happened this weekend? Neither side pulled off a three-point turn in the big match of the Etihad Man City and Liverpool drawing 2-2 to remain a point apart. Wheels came off for Saints, meanwhile. Getting spanked, is it? 6-0 by Chelsea. We'll get Adam's adjudication soon enough. Spurs, meanwhile, handed Villa a 4-0 reverse. Sun with a bumper haul. Uh, while Spurs' top four rivals, Arsenal and Man United, both lost. Brighton putting the brakes on Arsenal with a 2-1 win at the Emirates. While Man United's problems on the road continued at Everton. Everton moving four clear now of the drop. Below them, Burnley, who beat Everton midweek, promptly lost their clutch game with last place Norwich. And Watford choked again. This time 3-0 at home to Leeds. Also this weekend, Friday it was Newcastle 1, Wolves 0 at St James's. Leicester beat Palace 2-1 on Sunday. And Brentford did the double over West Ham, a 2-0 win at theirs over the Hammers who looked tired. Mm. All right, Man City, Liverpool. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Alexander Salah. In for Sadio Mane. What a start to the second half for Liverpool. Martin Tyler there 
reacting sort of to Liverpool's second equaliser in this 2-2 thriller at the Etihad. Yeah, he sounded slightly disappointed there, didn't he, James? It was it was a, a very under, <laughs> underwhelming wow. reaction to mm. a huge moment in, yeah. in the title race. Um, yeah, maybe he was just caught on the hop. Let's give him the, the benefit of the doubt there. But yeah, I think what, he's just what... seen every goal that there could ever be, and that's yeah. it. He, he, he just can't react to anything anymore because he's seen every <laughs> single goal that's ever been scored and there's just nothing left to surprise him. Yeah, mm. well, there was true. There was so much in this game. Says Daniel Storey... Getting the quotes in early, Daniel. Some high-profile fixtures become a chess match. This was Kaplunk mixed with operation. What do you mean by that? Well, it just ha- it, it it didn't seem to have any particular flow necessarily. Just as the, you thought you had a handle on the game, something surprised you. Either a, a kind of chip through ball from uh, from City to find Cancelo in a ludicrous amount of space, or Liverpool robbing City high at the the pitch and creating mistake and the fullback suddenly appearing high at the pitch that normally to my mind would suggest a kind of lack of quality in this kind of sort of chaos but apart from maybe Liverpool for 30 minutes in the first half I thought it was an incredibly high quality game it's just that they both managers tend to stick to what their game plan is they don't particularly adapt in this fixture to the strengths of the opponents and that made it for incredibly entertaining fair uh, it was we say this a lot and it's a, a TM football cliche, but um, the the first half really did absolutely fly by. You know, I'm always minded in these games, especially when you're at the game and you're writing, that you need to kind of half keep an eye on the clock. And I looked up and it sort of said 39 minutes and I thought, wow, like it feels like it's just been a series of teams sizing each other up and attacking each other at will. And we've had almost half the game. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. It wasn't quite breathless. I wouldn't give it breathless status that first half. It was almost pulsating. But I agree with Daniel. There was a con- kind of controlled chaos to it. It wasn't all over the shop like it might have been at Anfield under the lights, for example. I see. Uh, the big question for me, what was Edison doing? Because <laughs> I've, I've, I've seen it described as him deciding to dummy a bit, but I thought... He kicked the turf by accident and very nearly. And from low down in the press box, it looked like initially he'd given up on it. It wasn't that he he it wasn't that he was taking his time to play a pass across his own goal line. Maybe the the kind of ultimate end game for playing out from the back is rolling the goalkeeper rolling the ball along the goal line to to a teammate. But yeah, I thought he'd given up on it because his first touch was so poor. And I mean, you say presence of mind and it is presence of mind, but you look at his face and he's so calm. I mean, that's not normal. It's mm. not normal for a player to be so calm. I, 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 again, I thought he maybe didn't know how close Jota was to him, but let's face it, he probably had absolutely every idea where Jota was and he, he judged it perfectly. It felt like the two goalkeepers were having a, a sort of competition to see who was the coolest, who was the most laid-back Brazilian. And uh, yeah, that moment from Edison kind of trumped anything that, that Alisson did. Um, and he did, he produced a few ridiculously cool moments as well, or, or actually sloppy with his distribution. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're quite unique, those two goalkeepers, aren't they? We're not going in hard on enough on this on this Edison moment, I think. The, the, the screenshot of him sort of stroking the ball off his goal line as Jota comes sliding in is actually the most absurd image I've seen in the Premier League for quite a long time. If you'd shown me that, say, 10 years ago, I, I would be tearing it apart as a kind of laughably inaccurate depiction of a football game. It looks like a terrible stock image 
for a really sort of bad football-related product. It doesn't look anything remotely close to what we assume football should look like, and yet it happened, and that, that's what football is now. So uh, let's enjoy it. Mm. Well, there was much, as I say, to enjoy from this game. Both teams having to settle for a point, which ultimately does it... Does it leave Pep better off? He was saying afterwards, I have to review the game, but I have the feeling that it was a missed opportunity to beat them. I feel that we left them alive. Is that what happened? Yeah, I feel like it's one of those games that in, in, after the game immediately, Pep was was clearly visibly disappointed because he felt his side deserved to win the game. And I think he was probably right. But it's one of those results, in I think, in two or three days' time, especially if they go through against Atletico, uh, he will take that as a kind of result is king match and say, well, we'd have taken a draw coming into it. Could have gone another way. We should have won the game. We'd missed the chances. I thought they were they were at fault for the first goal, although it was well constructed. I think you know they didn't clear their lines properly. I think Edison should have saved the shot. Um, so in that context, he probably thinks it's a bullet dodged. Uh, and yeah, you know, both managers came into this game say, basically saying, we think, Guardiola said it explicitly, we think, Liverpool will win every other game they play this season. Klopp thinks that City will win every other game they play this season. And if if that's true, then we're going to end up with a very similar to 2018-19 season with 95 and 94 points at the end. Yeah, remarkable. Yeah, I think City were the better side, but I think Liverpool also deserve lots of credit for the way that they, they played in the second half. They improved hugely, I thought, Salah, who was really off-colour against Watford, w- was excellent, as was... Mane, uh, yeah. In general, I, I, I thought that they they raised their game, and, and that's really important. It's not easy to do that. They also played on on what I think is almost always the, the weak link for for City, and that's Carl Walker switching off at the far post. It's something mm. I think we reference so often, and for a player of his experience, a player of his pace, it's it's yeah, it's, it's an Achilles heel that that fullback shouldn't really happen. But it kind of was the story of the game, wasn't it? There was so much brilliance on show, but also so many flaws. And I think that, that both teams looked to exploit weaknesses in behind the fullbacks. That was where where, where several of the key chances came from in, in the match. And and yeah, that that was ultimately the, the big moment there. Carl Walker just not anticipating what was going to happen soon enough. And, and Mane, to his credit, got in there, didn't he? But yeah, it was it was brilliant. I just, I don't know what you think about the rivalry. There's a lot been talked about the the rivalry. It's it's. Let's just enjoy that we can ex- we can we can be alive at a time when both of yeah. these teams exist. I, I like I, my perfect rivalry would always include a little bit of bitterness and spite and right. and, and nasty edge, bit of Who did you as have well. that with? Yeah, I just well the Arsenal Manchester United rivalry was the, right, was, was glorious, wasn't it? But mm. but we've moved on, and we this have. is this is a sort of clean. We were, we cut. were moving on. But, this is a clean-cut <laughs> version, isn't it? For right. uh, I think it suits the millennial, really. This this sort of clean-cut version um, of, of football. Great, great, interesting, great attitude. I think yeah. from both teams. Daniel touched on it. That neither manager cares about the other's strengths. They just want to exploit the odd little weakness that they see. And it's hmm. it, the, are you talking about the handshake at the end? <laughs> I wasn't, but <laughs> which was. The embodiment quite... of this modern rivalry, it's just that <laughs> the technique involved and the, and the mutual respect and, and Pep overthinking it. It was all there yeah. in one handshake. Yeah. It was on, yeah. honestly a magnificent moment. Thank you. He brought it. He brought him in, didn't he? He's so, so, such a big backswing on that, on that, on that exactly. high five, wasn't it? So, I'm weird. I'm... He's such a weird man. <laughs> I've watched it several times, as I'm sure we all have. And, and 
what really intrigued me actually was the way Pep whirls on the spot. He's heading somewhere with real intent, and then all of a sudden he turns and, and Klopp is approaching. Klopp must have called Pep in amongst all the noise there at the Etihad, which is a bold thing. I mean, we've all called someone and they've just wandered straight past with your TV cameras rolling. Um, but yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> sorry, Adrian, you were talking about key moments and, and errors on display, particularly at the back. And how about Trent? Trent, who set up Liverpool's first equaliser with that delicious uh, ball, but then just completely let Gabriel Jesus go. Yeah, I think they are. I think they're almost victims of their own success. Both Alexander Arnold and Walker, in that respect, and they've got such phenomenal recovery pace that I think central defenders maybe subconsciously think well I can step up a little bit higher if a man goes past me it's, it might not be the end of the world because I've got one of the fastest fullbacks in the world to my right who can nip in behind and 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 for both players they do it eight or nine times out of ten the problem is that they play for clubs that the one out of ten or the two out of ten they, they aren't able to make it sticks out more and and especially in this game, because the chances are that you'll be punished for it. The difference is that City, I think, had three shots where players were in enough space to kind of think about the shot, or they're either through on goal. We had a Jesus one, Mares towards the end, Sterling very early on before the goal, and and Liverpool took those chances and City didn't. That was basically the difference in the game. Mm. I, I wouldn't say that that was a, a truly shocking mistake from Alexander Arnold. I would rather describe that as brilliant from Manchester City because the ball, when the ball gets set back, Liverpool just automatically squeeze up, and it's the timing of the run from Gabriel Jesus, which is genius in my opinion. He absolutely nails the timing of the run, and the and the quality of the cross from Cancelo is top top draw as well. And, and it, sometimes you just get beaten by a really clever piece of football and and I think that that was the case there with that City goal and the, and the, the nature of the finish I mean he's, he's, his foot is pretty high when he gets contact on the ball Jesus and he, he just sort of caresses it and it kisses doesn't it the underside of the crossbar I always like it when that, that happens it was it was a really good goal Adrian, you're you're absolutely right that we, we should praise an attacking side in this in this situation. But the the Trent Alexander Arnold can't defend thing is now rightly or wrongly set in stone in the kind of Hall of Fame of English hang-ups. We've had the Gerard Lampard debate, the skulls he could never tackle, the perennial left-sided problem. Andy Cole needs five chances to score. Teddy Sheringham's yard of pace in his head. It's up there now. That's where it is, and it's never going away. So these situations will always be analysed in that respect. And and exactly as, as Daniel points out, we only need one situation for this narrative to, to pour out again. So <laughs> Alexander Arnold is now trapped in this forever. It's it's, it's never going to solve itself, no matter what Klopp says, no matter what, what Alexander Arnold does on a pitch. It will always be the case. Mm. You're right, but he reacted. You are actually right. But he reacted in the second half and every time that high line appeared, he anticipated it and he dropped off two or three yards earlier and he did what a good fullback should do. So he did learn from his mistakes, but it's too late, as you, as you right. rightly point out. The inclusion of Gabriel Jesus, which was the big pre-match surprise after his run of 35 shots without scoring, 15 appearances for Man City without finding the net. He's a really funny one, Gabriel Jesus. So that's... City feel under Guardiola like a team of you know that excels in controlling the controllables, and Jesus seems to me the most emphatic exception of that in City. That he scores chances I don't think he'll he'll score. He misses chances I assume he's going to score. He's got he's got one of the worst records in the Premier League in terms of the number of goals he scored versus the quality of chances he's had this season, and. 
he's obviously become this kind of right-sided attacker this season, which I never saw coming. I thought if he was going to excel, it was going to be in that kind of penalty box or six-yard box poacher role. He's really, really hard to work out. I, I suspect that means at City that the the inevitable conclusion is that you're probably not quite fit for Guardiola's purpose and he'll find someone else who is over the, the course of this where, summer. Where does but... he go? Who does he play for if he wasn't played for Manchester City? Who does he play for and what does he do? Does he score like 30 a season for someone sort of sixth or seventh? Well, I was going to say Everton, if he, it's sort of three or four years ago, he'd be classic Everton, wouldn't he? Mm. But maybe now... Doesn't he go to Spain or, if he's really unfortunate, Italy, but and then, then score a bundle? I was going to say Inter, yeah, something like that maybe. That could certainly work. Perhaps so. All right, well, a terrific match. And yes, they are going to be doing it all over again next Saturday in the FA Cup semi-final. Potentially, they could be meeting in Paris in the Champions League final, although that rather depends on how quarterfinals and semis go. Quarterfinals currently see City 1-0 up against Atletico Madrid. They travel to uh, the Wanda Metropolitano this week. Uh, Liverpool, meanwhile, will be at home to Benfica, who they beat 3-1 in Portugal last week. Daniel, you're going along to that game in Madrid and the, the Chelsea visit to the Bernabeu. Yeah, to kind of link back to Gabriel Jesus, I wondered if one of the reasons he, he might have played yesterday is that he's suspended for that second leg. So mm. quite easy to bring in Grealish and Mares potentially for, for that game. I do expect City to go through, but um, I think it'll be tighter than than we maybe expect that that first leg was very very attritional it was not particularly enjoyable I have to say to to watch in the, in the stadium uh it's a sort of game where as at home I'd, I'd have the benefit of doom scrolling through my phone four or five times during each half which you obviously don't get in the stadium but yeah I think it will be tight but I do expect City to go through yeah be a big preview on that and all the other European fixtures in Tuesday's European edition of the Totally Football Show. Next up, let's move on to the other Merseyside Manchester clash. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporter Support Line and we've got Simon from Manchester on the line. Yeah, and I'm stressed about the potential of a Liverpool City Champions League final, Paddy. Sounds like an epic, Simon. Yeah, but one team's going to come off really badly. Who's that? My lot. Man United! It's not always rewarding being a football fan. But if it's rewards you're after, try Paddy Power's Bet Builder and get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match online Bet Builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds, eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Everton won Man United. Nil Saturday lunchtime. Local lad Anthony Gordon with the winner via a deflection. What board game was this one? Do you think? <laughs> Good question. Uh, come back to me in two minutes while I've mm. googled a list of nineties board games. Right, nice. Okay, now there's been a lot of criticism of Frank Lampard, and not least on this show on Thursday after the defeat to Burnley. But this was a a huge win, wasn't it? Or is it just that they found the one team that's even more abject than they are, as some <laughs> people have been saying? Where, where do you stand on this, Adrian? <laughs> it was a low-quality game. It, it was not great um, viewing. If, if City Liverpool was was elite level, this was this was way way down 
down the fair, wasn't it? It was um, no credit should go to Everton for their resolve and grit. I think that Fabian Delph, not many people like to lord Fabian Delph as a key man, but I think he is for, for Everton. He's, I think this was only his seventh appearance this season and, and they've lacked someone with his bite in the middle of the park, someone to get around the pitch and just unsettle the opposition. And he did that very, very well, I thought. Other players bounced back from bad games. Iwobi was shocking at Burnley, so was so was Ben Godfrey, and they were two of the better players in this game. So they, they showed a lot of Pickford character. Pickford as well. Yeah, yeah, Pickford, excellent game from him. So no, they showed a lot of character, a lot of heart, and um, and they made the most of, of what is such a below-mediocre Manchester United side. And Ralph Ranick doesn't help himself, does he? I just think that he got the substitution wrong with Rashford. He looks sharper to me. He's had a bad season. He's not been in good form. We know that. But in this match, he he looked their most dangerous player and he was the one that got hooked relatively early on in, in that second half. So, yeah, another really bad day for him and for Manchester United. And, and the one surprise stat that, that came out of this game is that this terrible Manchester United side, mm. um, it's the first time in in a year where they they have failed to score in an away match, which is just find remarkable, really. Yeah, I'm finally convinced of Manchester United's rubbishness because after after weeks and months of hearing about it and thinking, well, this must be an overreaction. It's just just lots of people sort of lamenting a thing that isn't around anymore. But on display at Goodison Park was the most starting lack of interplay between a front line I've ever seen. Uh, or at least recently, because it's the sort of thing that Manchester City, Liverpool and, and Tottenham now, they just do it by default. It, we, we expect it from their front lines, but there was absolutely no link-up play. And for someone, a tactical ignoramus like me, just looking at it going, this is rubbish. Like, how can they be so bad? It, it is stunning. But then it, it, it's a sort of set of circumstances that cultivate this sort of thing because there's no continuity and, you know, they've got a manager who isn't going to be around much longer. There isn't probably much impetus to get this sort of thing going. So it was it was really odd to watch just how bad they are. Mm. The only smashing performance from one of their forwards was Cristiano Ronaldo with that young fan's smartphone. What an extraordinary moment. Mm. Yeah, Adam is spot on. That was the thing that I found most astonishing watching them. It's that every time a Manchester United player gets the ball in the final third, it's like they've been wearing a blindfold for the previous 10 seconds. They take it off and they're told, right, work out what you've got to do with the ball. And it's like every other club, every other good club in the Premier League and some of the bad ones as well, they at least know the default option when they get the ball. You know, it might not be a surprise option. It might be a very standard safe pass. You know, fullback goes down the wing, turns back, plays infield. But at least there is a, a a known option. With Manchester United, it doesn't look like there is even that. It's like every player is surprised to get the ball. Another stat, Man United have won just 47% of their Premier League games under Ralph Rangnick. It's their lowest win rate under any manager in the competition. Crikey. But let's talk about Everton. Four points now between them and the drop. Is that the pressure off? Is this story over? I I mean, no, it's not over. But I I do think that Sean Dyche's post-match, we know Everton don't win, jibe. I think that probably landed pretty deeply at, at, at Goodison and amongst the players and amongst the manager. And there doesn't seem to have been an awful lot that's brought those players together. But, 
you know, without at the risk of reading far too much into a pithy post-match joke, I really think that will have hurt Everton. And they did, they did look a different team. Burnley obviously then go and chuck it in at Norwich and Everton are, are in a better position than they were before Thursday night, which is remarkable mm. given that what happened that, that evening. Did you hear that, that Frank has spoken to Sean Dyche about this? They've spoken well, no. after the, yeah no he he admitted that he brought that he he had been stung by that and Good. that he he was at pains to say that I know Sean didn't mean it like like it came out and oh, I've God. spoken to him since about it so it just, I just got this image Let of, it go, of Frank Jesus. ringing up Sean Dyche and saying what what do you mean by that what do you mean <laughs> he, I, I have to say. I, that Frank Frank Lampard is sensitive. Like he is yeah. one of the most sensitive managers out there. There's nothing wrong that. with that. Nothing no. wrong with that at all. Okay, so Everton are four <laughs> points above the drop. Smiley face. But as we all know with Frank, that's always followed by serious face. Uh, Burnley four points behind them. Uh, Norwich are seven points behind them. Watford six points. And they've played one game more I'm not sure if your twists and turns, Adam, are going to turn up this year. No. Um, as a kind of neutral from this perspective, when you look at the current relegation zone, Burnley, Watford, Norwich, you do want it to be shaken up a little bit. And if it has to be Everton, then 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 fine. But I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I feel like this was this was fairly decisive juncture, a weekend where Burnley kind of threw away their advantage a little bit. Mm. And um, I, I, I'm not going to say Everton could kick on from here or anything like that. They, in, this, this was a very fortunate fixture for them, given the state of Manchester United. But I, I feel like this is, Everton aren't going to get pulled back into it again. Um, the three that are in there are the ones that deserve to go down, really. And also the three that I kind of don't need in the Premier League next season, quite frankly. Wow. So it's harsh. Yeah. 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 No, it's, true. Because it's, it's just how relegation works. It's the spirit of relegation. Yeah. And especially as at least two of them will be back in. 16 months' time in the Premier League as well. Exactly. So, fine. Exactly. Which two, Daniel? Uh, probably, well, Norwich, obviously. Uh, and then whichever of Watford or Burnley change right. their manager at the right time or right. invest well over the summer. Probably Burnley, I guess. Um, although there's slight ownership worries there. Um, but yeah, two of them will be back. Right. Burnley are going to need more than 13 players in the Championship, though. So, uh, we'll see how they, how they go. <laughs> mm. Maxwell Corney's miss, though, at 1-0 down. Extraordinary. Norwich, seven points, meanwhile, from safety. Does this, is there a glimmer of hope there? I mean, it was a nice afternoon anyway for the uh, Carrowood fans. Yeah, I always feel Norwich are better when the sun's out. I don't know if that's ah. a, a misconception or not, but yeah, when at the start and the end of every season in the Premier League, Norwich seem to get their act together. But in the, in the winter months, absolute car crash so yeah it's uh, so, sorry I shouldn't mention car crashes ahead of your driving lesson um, <laughs> the, um, um, no it was, a, it was a good performance wasn't it and and I think they were smart because they did what Burnley don't want and that's to have the ball they let them have it 55% of the ball uh, Burnley had in this game they averaged 38% so so it was a, a kind of an odd situation for the Clarets and I don't think they handled it particularly well and, and what what I think happened from a tactical point of view was that Burnley had to play a bit more in the opposition half which left gaps for Tamu Puki to, to run into and if there's one thing that Puki's very good at it's making those those angled runs into space down the side of centre halves he had seven shots in this game Tamu Puki I, I don't know how many other matches 
it's taken for him to tot up seven shots, but I suspect quite a few. So, um, yeah, really good day for him and, and, and for Dean Smith. His goal was the pookiest goal I've ever seen. I, I'd, I'd heard about it, and then when I finally got around to seeing it, I thought, I know exactly what's going to happen here. Like an immaculately good touch on the turn with a bit of space in the area. And, I, and then when he faced the goalkeeper, said, if I was in goal, I know he's going to put it. He's always going to put it in the bottom left, shape to go near post, then put it in the bottom left. I, I, feel, like, I feel like I've cracked the code with one-on-one situations, I should be a Premier League goalkeeper, but only in those situations they should bring me on. Um, but yeah, it was just an incredibly pooky goal. And uh, I do think that he still has a bit of life in him as a Premier League striker, I think. Mm. Maybe in 16 months' time, as you say, Daniel. Watford, meanwhile, losing 3-0 at home to Leeds. They've yet to win at Vicarage Road, indeed, under Roy Hodgson. That's their ninth home defeat in a row. Crikey. Yeah, one-off Premier League record. One-off, which belongs to? Sunderland's Premier ah. League record, yeah. Leeds, meanwhile, 10 points from the last 12 available for Jesse Marsh. Excellent. I was very surprised to hear Marsh being confronted with his accent again on Match of the Day by Gary Lineker. I thought, again? Still? We need to get over this. I think we actually start, we're starting to look like dickheads about this. Um, I'm amazed that he was confronted with it again. And he sort of had to go, yeah, I'm I'm really sorry. This is kind of who I am. So get over Mm. it (laughs) in the politest (laughs) way possible. It's a sort of weird surprise that he isn't wearing a cloth cap and like walking a whippet to training <laughs> two weeks into the job or whatever. It's mad, isn't it? He said yeah. butts as well. He said we worked our butts off. So he's not doing himself any favours. He's just going to get keep keep getting asked this if he doesn't speak our language in our league. <laughs> um, on Jesse Marsh, I do like him. It's the polar opposite to to Bielsa, isn't it, in terms of access and, and getting an insight into into the, the team. And, and the players must find it really different after after you know the language issues previously it is the polar opposite and and it was fascinating that that I saw that that Marsh said that Liam Cooper who's come back from injury and has been excellent the last couple of games made a real difference he said he had him speak to the rest of the team in the dressing room and he said I did that because I what told him interpreter he told him no, he told him that <laughs> yeah I, it means I, pavement <laughs> <laughs> He told Liam Cooper that he's the best captain that, that that he's had in his entire team as a coach. He's only known him for a couple of weeks, really. Mm. Um, it, quite quite the statement from from Jesse Marsh. So um, yeah, he's not one for an understatement. Wow, certainly nothing understated about that three 0 win for Leeds. All right, next up, let's get on to Chelsea and Southampton. Keep listening for Daniel Story versus Duncan Alexander in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And we apologise for any bad language you may hear. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. 
Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash Totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match shots. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Totally Football Show Live is going to be live in Birmingham at the Glee Club. 10th of May. Fancy coming along. You can see myself... Duncan Alexander, Julian Laurence and Michael Cox sharing a stage. Could all kick off. Be there. Head to glee.co.uk for tickets. Totally Football League show is out today with Matt Davis-Adams at the helm. They'll be talking Crawley and crypto. Uh, Probably also a mention for Nottingham Forest. They've had five wins in a row, you know. Up to third. It's not impossible that they might make the top two. Eh? (laughs) Isn't that right, Daniel? It, it isn't. It isn't impossible. I am a resolutely pessimistic Forest fan, and yet even I have been doing the championship predictors for the last six, seven games of the season and working out just where we managed to fall flat on our faces. Right. Well, we'll see. As previously mentioned, Tony Football Show Euro Edition, that'll be out from about midnight on Monday evening. Looking ahead to a big week of second legs across Europe, Daniel as we mentioned, is off to Madrid for those two big games involving Premier League sides, one of which will be Chelsea, who are going to be at Real Madrid trying to turn around a 3-1 first leg deficit. They got warmed up with a, I'm going to call this a six-goal romp. Uh, Adam, I'm not sure I did mention earlier, is it a, is it a spanking? What, what, what is six in your Well, book? you appear to be taking a number-centric approach to this yeah. which is which is which is I the primary factor but you have to look at the manner of victory and it was quite casual it wasn't particularly emphatic in terms of the goal scoring uh, so spanking goal was, it wasn't a spanking it was more of a dismantling I think 6-0 is still only a dismantling I think it's a dismantling a couple more goals it would have been an annihilation um, <laughs> okay uh, so, so yeah it wasn't it wasn't emphatic enough it was it was a stroll in the sunshine down on the south coast nice nice against the side <laughs> perhaps already on the beach I don't know yeah. but uh, so 1-0 is a victory or you yeah. beat them 2-0 where do you start to stray into specialist terminology 3-0 uh, can three? be emphatic and comprehensive okay Four. four I, I, for me, four is a dismantling, and I recognise you're the expert in this field. But I feel like six, you got to go. You got to bust out the big jargon for that. I think you're, maybe you're fair. Fair enough. Maybe at six, the number takes over from the manor. Right. That's fair enough. Smashed That's four six. Seven six obviously six, yeah. is seventh. Yeah. You know, seventh heaven. Mm. And there isn't yeah. one for eight. And then it's Why cloud not? nine, as Southampton yeah, found nine. to their cost twice. All right. And uh, yeah, well, what is it with saints then? A side that can stop the mighty Man City, but regularly falls apart and gets whatever six is, by, or, or even nine is, by, by uh, you know, otherwise un, unprepossessing uh, Premier League sides. My theory on this, and, and Chelsea probably suffered from this a little bit to a lesser extent, is that they have such a strict game plan, such a pronounced, defined game plan, that when it, when it 
falls out the window a little bit, or, or they just fall from the levels that are demanded of them. It, it unravels spectacularly, more so than any other team who maybe can contain it a bit. So, but Southampton is such an extreme example. Um, the huge amount of effort they are, in theory, supposed to put into their game, if it drops off, they don't really have, I'm not going to say a plan B, but they just have everything to back it up. So it mm. really does, and, and you know, there's such, such body of evidence for this. So uh, my theory is 100% correct. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's their style of play. They're very in your face. And when it works, they're one of the best teams at closing down and making life hard. But when they're a, a yard off it, or in this case, two or three yards off it, then you can get absolutely ripped apart and torn to shreds. And, that, and that's what happened here. They also lost their heads. I mean, the defenders, uh, Salisu and, and Bednarek, were they had shockers. And, and what I'll say about this performance and, and why I'm kind of on... Adam's side with his description of it is that this was a precise victory from Chelsea. The goals that they scored were were really neatly constructed. Where it, do, do you know what I mean? That they, they, it was it was about clinical passing mm. and movement. It was. It wasn't about sort of. Um, it wasn't a bombardment, was it? It wasn't they, a bombardment. They, they, no. Hit the woodwork constantly, but it's just felt like a sort of surgical thing. Is that just yeah, just that, like picking that, them? That's what it was. It, it was. It was surgical. I mean, they had fourteen shots on target. It could have been ten, couldn't it? Werner mm. could have had six really on his own. Um, they they didn't hardly put a cross into the box as well. Chelsea. I looked at the passes stats. They had seven hundred and forty eight. Okay, Southampton had two hundred and something. So that's a huge discrepancy. The cross count was was four for Chelsea, ten for Southampton. So it really was surgical in the way that they went through the middle of them. They just, it, it was it was so precise, so impressive from from the Blues. Really good. Ah, a massive boost for them. Seventh time, by the way, that Southampton have conceded four goals in a single half under Ralph Hasenhuttle. So they really do do this quite a lot. Uh, it's meantime the seventh away win in a row for Chelsea in all competitions. Can they make it eight? on Wednesday and do it by two goals away at the Bernabeu, which no English team has ever been able to win by at that venue. Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, I. The only kind of slight flicker of positivity is that without digging up old graves of the the tricky 2-0 lead, it is a difficult psychological thing for Real. Do they, do they try and attack or do they just sit on that lead? I suspect they'll try and play it in the same way. Chelsea clearly have to defend an awful lot better. Uh, Thiago Silva and Rudiger have to look after Karim Benzema's movement more. Um, they have to stop Vinicius getting in behind them because I think if Real score, I don't think Chelsea will, mm. will go through. So I think they basically have to win 2-0 and get to extra time, which is very limiting on your options. First goal is crucial, you feel? Yeah, I mean, I mean an absolute tap-in opinion for me, that. But yes, I do think that. <laughs> Adam, you were shaking your head quite emphatically when I... Yeah, Race. Chelsea will concede. Um, yeah, no, no question. Uh, and I don't see them scoring three as a result. So uh, yeah, um, I mean, we were talking about the kind of uh, automatisms in attack that Manchester United don't have, and City and Liverpool do have, and Spurs evidently do have on the weekend's evidence. But Chelsea don't really have that because they don't have that kind of continuity of selection in attack. Havertz is a is a kind of a thinking man's option up front, but. It's um, it doesn't always dovetail particularly well, and they would need it to to score three times against Real Madrid away, and that's not going to happen. Chelsea will concede, and I don't see them scoring three. Clip that one up, producer Charlie, for Thursday's show. Very good. Says <laughs> so him putting a bet on to uh, hedge my emotional um, <laughs> side of things. 
Big week for Chelsea, of course. After they return from Madrid, they'll be facing Crystal Palace in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. Palace, whose seven-game undefeated streak came to an end away at Leicester on Sunday. All right. Uh, let's talk about the race for top four. Spurs winning at Villa, while Arsenal go down to Brighton. Aston Villa, Spurs, wow. Sun with a hat-trick on a pretty sensational weekend uh, for Tottenham Hotspur. That front three, if you like, of Kane, Kulusevski and Son, although Kane much less front than the other two, the way things are, are turning out, have been absolutely sensational. Scoring or assisting 37 Premier League goals since Kulusevski arrived. Remarkable stuff. With all of that was the key man, Hugo Lloris. He had a great game, didn't he? When Aston Villa were, were all over them in the first half, Hugo Lloris was, was excellent. So, yeah, he should get a large slice of the credit for keeping them in the game. Um, but... In my opinion, this was this was why Spurs hiring Antonio Conte was such a, a good move because the best managers can read a game. They look at it, they think, this isn't working. Why isn't it working? What do we need to do? And they can draw on the old playbook of when this happened before, this is what I did, and and let's let's go to that. And and, and Conte's got that in his armour and he, he thinks very quickly and they changed tact. They they went a little bit longer, a bit more direct, and and it worked superbly. You, you saw with the, the the direct attacks that they had, how how they undid Aston Villa. I mean, Kane Kane's becoming a a flick on merchant, isn't he? It's, it's, it's remarkable, amazing. really. Um, Son, is there a better player at time in those runs? We talked earlier about Gabriel Jesus making those those bursts from out to in, but Son does it unbelievably well. And when he gets into those one v ones, he just never looks like. Like missing, does he? I think that Kane, Kulusevski, and Son are a second only to Liverpool's front three. Absolutely devastating. Whenever Spurs have a quickly constructed attack, not so good when it's slow and and the build-ups there and and the opposition are sort of packed. But when they go from defence to attack quickly, those three are unreal. And um, and yeah, they're in pole position now, aren't they? To to claim top four, it's pains me to say it but it's a fact although Adrian they're only three points clear of Arsenal who've played a game less so it's far from but they're scoring goals James and and, and and Arsenal aren't we'll get to Arsenal shortly but they're scoring multiple goals a, a lot I think they've scored more than two ten times now that's the same as City Chelsea have got have got more than two twelve times Liverpool 14 for Arsenal it's happened six times they're very reliant mm. Arsenal on clean sheets and, and not making mistakes at the back and, and if they do make those errors then then they won't win games that Spurs can win because they've got that a wider range of, of goal scorers Arsenal can't rely on attacking midfielders to bail them out the whole season it'll work for a few months and it worked during that hot streak but you need your forward players to contribute and, and Spurs attackers are and, and Arsenal's aren't at the moment Mm. Spurs have scored 12 goals in their last three games. Harry Kane hasn't scored any of them. Uh, right, Arsenal then and the defeat to Brighton. Adrian, you were there to witness Brighton's first ever Premier League victory in the month of April. How do you feel? <laughs> I feel like I jinxed it because we did the match. We did the breakdown live, a show that, that that's on um, Arsenal's website and... And we flagged up this stat ahead of kickoff, and and we knew mm-hmm. that it was it was going to jinx it. No, I was nervous ahead of the game because Potter and Brighton have been very awkward opponents for Arsenal in recent seasons, 
and and I do think that they're much better than their their league position suggests. And and they they're catching Arsenal or they caught Arsenal at the right time. There was some outstanding individual displays, I have to say, from the Seagulls. I mean, uh, and Wepu sort of marauded around the pitch like a like a prime time Yaya Toure. He was he was colossal, like with the ball and without the ball. He was absolutely superb. Um, Cucurella, who we talked about on the show as well. Um, him, him and Tyrick Mitchell are two phenomenally solid left-backs. Their stats are, are brilliant. The, the stats tell us that they're two of the best defensive left-backs in the division. And having watched them in the last two games against Arsenal, my eyes have confirmed that. These two guys are good enough to play for anybody, in my opinion, Kukurela and Mitchell. Um, Better than Granit was... Xhaka at left-back, do you think? <laughs> oh, goodness, man. I mean, I would have taken that swap, no doubt about it. Very quickly on Arsenal, because I, I don't want to dwell on, on on what was a really poor performance too much. But putting Xhaka at left-back is something I wouldn't have done for a couple of reasons. Lekonga's been on the bench for, for months. And to put him into that midfield without Partey, without Xhaka, and with two attacking midfielders either side, I think was asking too much of Lekonga. Um, he, was, he was isolated in there. Arsenal weakened their midfield too much by putting Xhaka to left back. And what actually happened was that that was so bad that in the second half, Xhaka pretty much played in, in central midfield and Arsenal had no left back. And and obviously that, that unbalanced the team hugely. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the team I would have selected. And I think if Mikel Arteta had another go at it, he, he would have gone with a different starting eleven as well. Well, can Brighton produce a performance like that next weekend? That's what Arsenal... Supporters will be hoping when the Seagulls visit visit Spurs, or is this just going to be a kind of momentary blip? Well, I mean, Brighton are, are eventually, Graham Potter would say, they were going to get things right. I think they'd had 102 shots and scored one goal before uh, Saturday, which is, yeah, it is pathetic, and that will naturally regress to a mean. Um, and they haven't really dropped, you know, I think they've only dropped three places by winning one in 14 or something. So they've got a chance of finishing the top half for the first time in their history, which in the context of Brighton is is remarkable. Um, for Arsenal, though, I mean, the injuries are unfortunate, but Lacazette is the one that frustrates me the most in that team. Kieran Tierney getting injured, yes, he has a bit of a history of it, but you can't necessarily account for it. Party getting injured and having to move Xhaka, yeah, is difficult. But Lacazette, it just just feels like they're kind of rolling, <laughs> rolling the dice and hoping for you know to roll a six every time when he plays because he's just not at it. And to an extent, I think they're unlucky in that basically the the players that are coming through at Arsenal, their best young players, are all roughly of a similar type and all roughly in positions that is probably the easiest to recruit. I think in in modern football, those kind of slightly slight attacking midfielders who can drift out wide but can also play centrally and play as number 10 and do mm. about three or four different jobs. Um, what they need is a striker, desperately need a striker in the summer. It's funny because people come and go uh, at the club at, at, in terms of the scouting decisions and that, but buying a surfeit of slight attacking midfielders has, has, has kind of perennially been Arsenal's thing, hasn't it? Well, I think I think in the last ten years, with the improvement of academy football and scouting and player development, I think it's the player that probably naturally becomes created more than any other. In that players can kind of tend to 
drift into that role because everybody is technically proficient now. So if maybe you lack a bit of physicality or mm. then you might become a, a winger or if you lack the speed, you might become a sort of attacking central midfielder. I can see how it happens. The problem is that the players, you know, Nketiah was their kind of shining hope for a central strike role and he's just not quite good enough for, for that. And it's very hard to convert players into being a brilliant striker. They seem to just sort of happen almost by chance, almost like Kane, in that oh, they become kind of sort of semi-mythical when they, they rise through because... And even can't he's quite turned into an attacking midfielder now. Well, exactly, yeah. But he, I mean, he's got everything, mm. but it's a lot easier to do that. It's a lot easier to go from a central striker to becoming creative now that it is yeah. to be, be a creative central midfielder that somehow becomes a top-class striker. They should sign Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Simple. Simple. I, I, has that idea been floated, Adam? Or is that I, I can, straight from the top of your dome? God knows. <laughs> but if you close your eyes, can you picture Gabriel Jesus in an Arsenal shirt, sort of wheeling away in casual celebration after making it 3-0 at home to somebody? Yes. Mm. Yes is the answer. So that's it. That's all the, that's all the uh, inside knowledge you're really going to need for this, isn't it? Uh, but very quickly, they, they had two huge name strikers in Aubameyang and Lacazette on huge mm. money. So bringing in another striker kind of wasn't on the table for a long time, even though you knew that the day was coming. You knew that, that, that they were ageing. You knew that, that it wasn't really working with the two of them. Um, it's only really now where, where they've got to make that happen. And I have to say, it's, yeah, yeah, they should have brought somebody in in January. That, 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 that looks like it's going to be costly. But they, Arsenal need, I would say, at least two really strong new strikers this summer, maybe three. There you go, Brighton fans. A game you're involved in which doesn't finish with you being the team that should have brought in a striker. Incredible. Also this weekend, Brentford continued their excellent form, beating West Ham 2-0. That's four wins from the last five for the Bees. Brian and Buemo scoring. Uh, had one of the worst records in the Premier League in terms of finishing. His fi- right. Uh, I've, got, I've got a stat now, Brian and Buemo. Go for it. He's got the most goals in Premier League history in which each one has been scored against sides starting with the same letter. That letter's <laughs> W, fans. West that Ham, Watford and Wolves. Duncan Alexander. I don't know where it's from. I, I got it from producer Charlie. Thanks, producer <laughs> Charlie. Sorry, back to you, Daniel. No, he, I'm pleased for him because he's clearly a very good player, but his finishing this season has been quite a way off. Uh, and he's one of those... There are several players at Brentford that you feel like if they click, everybody else in the like their star players look better. And when Embuemo is on it, Tony looks better. There's no doubt about that because if if he isn't, then Tony can get a little bit isolated and a bit frustrated, and almost just becomes a target man with nobody close enough to feed off. Um, they they were playing a West Ham who David Moyes seems to be doing this very odd thing where he seems to accept that the players are going to be basically prioritising the Europa League, but without actually resting any of the players, just making them play 90 minutes, which seems... You know, they did it against Sevilla, where they picked nine of the same 11. He picked eight of the same 11 that played against Leon, and sort of almost said, well, it's fine, just play at 80% and lose, but I still want you on the pitch, which seems a very kind of roundabout or upside-down way of doing it. 1-1 mm. in the Europa League against uh, Leon, and the return leg coming up, of course, on Thursday, Adrian. Can I just ask Adam for his view on that goal for Umbremo? It Because it came from a very straightforward throw-in routine where, you know, you, you, you get the thrower, throws it into Tony, he just plays it around the corner to Umbremo, who scores. We don't see this often enough. It was a little bit sort of old school in a way, wasn't it? 
well, throw-ins are now such a big deal. Um, Brentford obviously think about it um, more deeply than many others. So I'm not hugely surprised it's, it's part of their game plan. We saw it right at the very start of the season where they uh, where they uh, did Arsenal over with throw-ins and set pieces. So yeah, it's definitely in their armoury. But yeah, I like throwback goals. Let's have more of them. Um, Harry Kane is now a flick-on merchant. So um, yeah, let's have lots of throwback goals from now on in. Um, but I would say about West Ham is that, you know, such as the format of their season, if they are going to lose games, lose them on Sundays when they aren't on telly, in between two legs of European tie, nobody cares. It's fine. No one's going to notice. It doesn't affect their reputation whatsoever. Fair enough. Uh, just out of interest, Adam, is there a particular kind of old school goal that you would particularly like brought back? I would like to see a goalkeeper like properly kicking out of his hands, not, like, not out to the side, like absolutely wellying it right. vertically. Yeah. Upfield, Eric Torstedt style, and then big header on from someone, and then maybe like a half volley from the edge of the box into the bottom corner. Um, which now I now I now I describe it sounds actually mm. more like a modern goal than anything else. So yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe we are going full circle. But yeah, I want to see proper Route One goal that makes people just go, "Oh, that's very satisfying." So yeah, that diving piece. headers as well. Diving headers. Diving headers. Maybe maybe I've we just never really saw. So long. Yeah. Maybe it's just that they never happen that much, but you remember them. Robin so, Van Persie. Well, yeah, Robin Van, well, Henrik Larsson is the my is go-to it? example. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right then. Leicester. Hey, Daniel, you went along on uh, last Thursday to see Leicester play PSV. You bloody love going to Leicester. It's a nine-minute train from Loughborough Station, which That's is the, the secret to this success. All right. Nil-nil. On that occasion, they will be in Eindhoven. On Thursday, having beaten Crystal Palace uh, 2-1. Do you want to say a few words about Kin and Dewsbury Hall? Yeah, he's their, best, he's their best player now, which is ludicrous, given that, yes, Jamie Vardy's not there, but James Madison and Harvey Barnes are both playing, and yet Dewsbury Hall looks head and shoulders above them. I, I, on Thursday, it's, I wasn't just saying this for effect in the piece I wrote, but I, I genuinely looked at two different websites. So the first one told me that Dewsbury Hall didn't make his Premier League debut until December the 5th. And I, I couldn't quite believe that because it does feel, maybe because he's got this sort of slightly throwback style, maybe because they've got so many of those slightly pushing for the England squad, but probably not going to make it attacking midfielders, that it sort of feels like he's been part of that furniture for a couple of years now. And yet... He has hit the ground running so fast, and he is, as I say, he's their best player. He was he was brilliant against PSV. He was the only one that was, and on Sunday it it, it looked like a couple of players finally sort of joined him in that, and therefore they won the game. He's, he's twenty three. I know, yeah, he's twenty. And I love this because it shows that you don't have to make it at seventeen, eighteen. It, these days, it feels as if you're not in the first team squad as a teenager. It's not really going to happen for you, but but here it's different. He they kept him on as a pro. He's a regular reserve player. And he's just gradually got better. And everyone peaks differently, don't they? Some some people are late bloomers. And, and he had loans at, at Blackpool and at Luton, which really enhanced his, his reputation. And I think circumstance, more than anything else, forced Brendan Rodgers' hand because they've had so many injuries. And, and he's come in and, and he's been a revelation. He can do it all. He's got... He, he is old school, Adam. He's got that grit and sort of he's, he'll run. He'll run his legs off. But he also happens to be technically excellent as well, as we saw with the assist and the goal in, in this game. He also got the Brendan, the official Brendan Rodgers seal of approval, which is to be described as honest. Like If Brendan <laughs> Rodgers describes you as honest, then you know that 
you're his teacher's pet and he is absolutely Rogers loves him he, he won't stop talking about him the other game this weekend it was actually back on Friday was of course Newcastle picking up their fourth home win in a row this time against Wolves uh, 1-0 lots yeah. more love for Bruno Gomes yeah I think that's the the foreign Premier League player who I'm most likely to say their name in the foreign tongue you know, I'm most likely to give the flourish of Gamarish, definitely. Uh, yeah, he, he he basically hasn't played much because Newcastle were winning when he signed and Eddie Howe didn't want to change that winning team. And this mm. was his first start at St. James's and he was pretty comfortably the best player. Good for Newcastle for, to kind of give him minutes and get him ingratiated into the team. Excellent. All right, then. Well, that was the Premier League weekend. Uh, Daniel's driving lesson is coming up very soon. But before that, another high-pressure situation for him as he faces the first of our Intertotally Semi-Finals. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Into Totally, the story so far, listener. From 16 contenders, we're down to just four. Along the way, we've had some shocks and surprises, including losing both of last year's finalists. And now with a wrinkled artisan standing by to etch a new name on the in no way purely notional Intertotally Cup, we are ready to get serious. Let's meet our first semi-finalist. Up first. He's staring at the dream double of Nottingham Forest promotion to the Premier League and inter-totally cup glory. Brimming with confidence, it's Daniel Storey. Yeah, guest MC, producer Charlie there. All right, Daniel Storey, welcome to the inter-totally cup. Got to ask, which means more to you, league or cup this year? Uh, just about league, I think. All right. Well, you saw off Michael Cox, the big dog, back in round one. Then Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Now you're facing a semi-final featuring seven questions. Did anyone tell you there's seven questions this time around? It's more than six. Right. 
Can you can you spank your opponent? Will you dismantle him? We, we shall see. We shall see. Let's meet your adversary. his opponent. He's been playing with all his silly machines as much as he likes in preparation for this contest. The supercomputer has spoken and it's predicting victory for Duncan Alexander. All right. Just back wow. from his winter break. Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan. Hello. Yes. Indeed. An interesting choice of... Uh, Entrance music there. Daniel going with the raw emotion. You're with the more kind of methodical, no room for emotion, really, in your approach. Algorithms, you know. It's right. all about repetitive algorithms. So, yeah. yeah. Duncan, Daniel's made it all the way to the finals before in the first edition of the Intertotally. This, by contrast, is your first time in the semi-finals. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean... It's progress from from previous years. I, I'm not sure why we're having to play this at Wembley. That seems, uh, you know, a bit of an, a bit of overkill. But um, it is what it is. Uh, it's neutral. So yeah, let's let's see what happens. Let's. Uh, whoever does go through to the final today will be also winning ten pounds, which Paddy Power will place on the bed of your choice. With the winners going to a charity that you nominate, uh, Duncan. What would your charity and bet be? Uh, charity is the Trussell Trust again. Um, and the bet is for Declan Rice to score at the home of French cuisine in Lyon this week. I think it might upset the locals who prefer uh, generally potatoes as a carb, I think. But yeah, let's see. Let's see indeed. Daniel? Yeah, same charity for me, sticking with the Trustful Trust. And I've gone Riyad Mahrez to score the first goal against Atletico in the Champions League. Very nice. OK. Well, you're up first for us in this intertotally semi-final, Daniel Story. Your questions begin with this. Daniel, you're about to hear the commentary of a famous goal with the scorer's name blanked out. Can you name the scorer and the game? Rivaldo's dummy! Uh, well, Rivaldo dummy. So it's, I'm guessing it's Ronaldo against Germany in the 2002 World Cup final. Is that your guess? That is my guess, yeah. It's correct, Daniel. Mightily <laughs> impressive. Very good. Question two then. Which current EFL ground has hosted a cricket test match? Bramall Lane. Correct. Question three. Who am I? I was born in Ghana, but won the World Cup with a different nation. I played in England, but won the Champions League with two teams from other countries. Yes, I.e. Correct. Question four. Which Real Madrid player famously scored against them and helped knock them out of the 2004 Champions League? Former Real Madrid player, did you say? No, no, no. I said, which Real Madrid player famously scored yeah. against them and helped knock them out of the 2004 Champions oh, League. Uh, Morientes. Is correct. Question five. Which player scored in both Germany's 7-1 win over Brazil at the 2014 World Cup and Bayern's 8-2 win over Barcelona in the 2020 Champions League? So it's a 7-1. Yes. And Bayern's 8-2. Correct. 
Who was the one player to um, score in both? I mean, Gonna Muller? Hurry, you got a driving lesson. Yes, it was, Thomas Muller. Oh. You're on five for five. Here's question six. In the 2013 Europa League final, who did Chelsea beat? Twenty thirteen Europa League final. Who did Chelsea beat? Uh, God, I should know that. In my head, I've got Atlet- Atletico. It was Benfica. Oh, it was Benfica. Of course it was. Right. Yeah, yeah. Question seven. Edgar Davids played for three English teams. Can you name them? Yeah, Barnet, Palace, Spurs. Correct. Giving you a score of six out of seven. Daniel, how do you feel about that? Yeah, that's that's not bad. I, mean, I should have got the Benfica one, but I would have taken six at the start, obviously. Obviously. All right. Let's see whether your opponent can match or even beat that score. Duncan Alexander, are you ready? Mm, yeah, ish, ish. Okay. Duncan, question one. You're about to hear the commentary of a famous goal with the scorer's name blanked out. Can you name the scorer and the game? Oh, I tell you what. The chance for France. It's a goal. They've equalised. In the third minute of stoppage time. Oh. A lot of clues there, isn't there? Is there? Are there? More than Rivaldo, 2-0. That is... The England-France Euro 2004 game and Henri. It's France at the Euros, but it's not against England. It's from Euro 2000, the final. It's Sylvain Wiltord uh. against Italy. Got to say, comedy sound effects in commentary. It's the way forward. That leaves me no wriggle room at all. OK, yeah, fine. Yeah. <coughs> Very much so. All right. Mm. Needing all the remaining questions, Duncan. Which ground is the smallest by capacity to ever host a Premier League game? It's got to be... Hmm... How big was... Is Plough Lane ever in the Premier League or is it Dingle? I'm going to say Plough Lane. Should have gone with Dingle. Ah! Should have gone with Dingle. <laughs> forward slash the Vitality Stadium. <sighs> that All was right. the smallest ground by capacity to ever host a Premier League game, which means... Mm. Daniel, you're in the final. Yeah, that... Daniel, you're in the final. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yes. Yeah, I feel a bit. Dug. That's a hard. That's a hard question. That very hard. Yeah, particularly when you had the answer there, or went for the other option. Crikey, the, the Bramall Lane one, I would have got as well. So yeah, you know. went, for the there we go. Hipster, went for the hipster choice of Flower Lane, which is his mm. undoing. Really, I mean. <laughs> yeah, you think about Plough Lane, no one actually knows the capacity. It could have been 100,000 if you think about it. So, uh... <laughs> All right. Well, there you go, Duncan. That's, mm. um, I mean, a magnificent performance from, from Daniel left you, as, as you said, no wriggle room whatsoever. 
And, yeah, uh, I think the analytics show that I think generally the people who come in and who aren't on the show struggle. Mm. Um, Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, warm up, X, yeah. X yeah. warm up or whatever. You've, but yeah, um, you've been away as well, so possibly you didn't yeah. have seven questions in your brain. Out sorts, but yeah. So mm. should we should we have a look at the other questions? Let's do, eh? Let's see what you could mm. have won. Uh, question three, who am I? I was the Dutch Footballer of the Year in 1997, not long before I moved to England. I won a Champions League final in dramatic circumstances, but lost another Champions League final in equally dramatic circumstances. Say that again? I was the, really? I was the Dutch Footballer of the Year in 1997, not long before I moved to England. I won one Champions League final in dramatic circumstances and lost another in similar. Hmm... That is hard, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So was he. What? No. Yap Stam. Oh. 1997. Yeah, Dutch what, footballer what of the year. What final did he lose? Uh, with Milan, I'm guessing. He must have been in... Uh, that must have been the Istanbul one. Uh, Istanbul. Yeah. That was dramatic, confirmed. Yeah, it's dramatic. Confirmed. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> All right. Okay, question four. At which club did Roy Keane end his professional playing career? Celtic. Correct. You're on the board, etc. Question five. You haven't done a Southampton, that's the main thing. <laughs> English teams won every European Cup between 1977 and 1984, apart from one. Who won the one they didn't win? Well, it went... Liverpool, Liverpool, then some team I've not really ever heard of won two. Um, Villa, Liverpool. Is it? Is it Hamburg? Oh, it is. It is Hamburg, winning in 1983. Question six. To which team did Arsenal lose in the 2000 UEFA Cup final? Oh, um, Galatasaray. Correct. And question seven, if it was the Telstar in Russia 2018 and the Brazooka in Brazil 2014, what was it in South Africa in 2010? What? Sponsored name? The Telstar in Russia 2018, the Brazooka in 2014. South Africa? The Jabalani, the hated, swervy ball of death. Indeed, to give it its longer <laughs> moniker. Uh, so you finished, Duncan, with actually a fairly respectable four out of seven. Four out of seven, which was good, but not good enough to beat Daniel's story. I would not have got six on Duncan's questions. I'm very happy to concede that. Mm. Well, there you go. Fortunate or not, Daniel, you are in the final. Congrats, Daniel. Cheers, mate. I will be watching the... The other semi-final, closely to see if Jules demands a, a third-place player. Bask in the glory of Daniel's story. He's on his way to the Intertotally Cup final. And if you, like Daniel, think that Riyad Mahrez will be the first goal scorer at the Wonder on Wednesday, it's priced at 92 at PaddyPower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Odds are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Charlie Eccleshare will be Julian Laurence's opponent in the next semi-final, so we're looking forward to that. 
Meantime, Daniel, you've not got long before you need to scarper for your driving lesson. So many thanks for today. Adam, to you as well. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Adrian, magnificent as ever. Producer Charlie, lovely staff. Commiserations, Duncan. Listener, thank you. And we'll be back with a variety of shows in the interim, but also on Thursday with the Totally Football Show. Hopefully, we'll see you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.